I know that not everybody loves Christmas. I, I totally get that. I know, for example, some of you have to spend time with your families at Christmas, and that pretty much negates the whole like joyous Noel thing right there. It's really more dirges than carols for you, and I, I understand that. Uh, I, I just love it, and I've always loved it, but I really love it particularly because it brings a, a fond memory uh, to mind for me, and I, I want to tell you a little bit about that this morning. About 17 years ago this month, my husband Dan flew over the Atlantic Ocean to Edinburgh, Scotland, where I was working at the time, and he asked me to marry him. And Wow, yeah, come on now. I mean, imagine if the poor guy were sitting out in the crowd. He'd really be feeling bad. I uh, know, and it, it was a great moment. Now, a little, little bit of history about Dan and I. Dan and I knew each other for seven years before we got engaged. Now, some people might call that relationship phobia or being extra careful. We just, you know, wanted to make sure that we were right for each other to spend a lifetime together. So we spent a lot of time kind of doing a funny little dance about our relationship. We never talked about marriage. In fact, before really before we got engaged, we kind of used sort of used code language about it. And so we would say things like, I like hanging out with you. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Dan, Dan would say, I like hanging out with you. And then Dan would say something like, I like spending a lot of time with you. And I would say, yeah, I do too. And then, you know, one time he got really bold and he said, I think I could maybe, I could maybe spend the rest of my life with you. And I went, ha, <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I think I could too. And I remember thinking as we kind of got, you know, progressed in our relationship, you know, there's going to come a moment where probably he's going to ask me to marry him. I didn't know exactly when that was going to be, but I thought it was probably, you know, coming in the near future. When he flew to Scotland for Christmas, I thought this is the perfect moment for him to do this. And so he came and we had about five days uh, together and every day I would think, okay, this is the moment. This is it. And I would prepare myself every day. And the first day came and went, and there was no proposal. And the second day came and went. And we kind of went on and on. And I, at every, every kind of significant event we went to or we were, we were involved in, I would sort of psych up. And so finally what I started doing is we just would sit down somewhere, maybe for dinner or something. I would just start the conversation out by going, yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, Dan would look at me and he would go, yes, what? And then I would think, obviously, this is not the moment. <laughs> well, Chris, Christmas Eve came, and uh, we were at a home, and we were celebrating Christmas with a group of friends of mine, and we were exchanging gifts, and a time came for Dan and I to exchange gifts, and he, he kind of leaned over to me, and he sort of he whispered in my ear, I want you to open your gift in private. And I was like, well, that's a little awkward since we're all opening our gifts together. <laughs> And so I kinda, he kind of let it go, and then about five minutes later, he tapped me on the shoulder. He says, I want you to open your gift in private. And I, and I pretended like I didn't hear him. This is, this is how I knew we were actually destined for each other, because this is how married couples actually interact. <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. And it went on to something else. And then finally, he was starting to get like a little bit more aggressive and belligerent about it. And finally, he's like, I want to open our gifts in private. And, and then people were staring at us because they noticed he raised his voice at me on Christmas Eve. And we were supposed to be in love, you know? And so finally he just grabbed my hand and he took me into the other room. He's like, I really, I want to open the gift. So I was like, okay. 
So I, I gave him his gift, and I remember it's very clear. I gave him a watch, and uh, and it was a very you know very sentimental gift. Um, I had gotten it actually at the Berlin Wall. I had been living in Germany, and I'd gotten it at the Berlin Wall. The fall of of uh, the east and west, the wall had come down, and I had bought it there, and it was kind of a cool historical you know, thing, and, and I was a history major, and I was really in it. He was like, oh, thanks, and he put it down. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and then he's like, open your gift. So I was like, okay. And so he hands me this long, kind of long box, and in my mind, I thought, well, obviously, this is not the moment, because there is not an engagement ring in this box. And I was a little bit uh, irritated. Because I'm like, you're, you know, he was going home like in two days. I'm like, dude, you're running out of moments. <laughs> so I open the box, and in the box, a beautiful pair of uh, sapphire earrings. And, you know, I think most women would be happy with sapphire earrings. <laughs> I mean, they were really lovely. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so he says, put these earrings, put them on, you know, put them on. So I put them on, and I was like, they are, they're beautiful, thank you, that's so generous, you know, and I was kind of gushing over my gift. And then he goes, oh, he says, I forgot. He goes, I have a little something to go with those earrings. And I thought, this is the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, he pulled out a little velvet pouch, and in that pouch, was my uh, engagement ring, and he asked me to marry him. And it was a really, it was a very tender moment, very sweet. I, every Christmas, I reminisce about that moment. And uh, I reminisce often with him, and he's like, yeah, okay, we've done this for 17 years. Let's move on now. We're married. I get it, you know. It was great. Life is like that. It's like full of moments. You know, we, we have moments that are of great highs. We have moments of, of lows. We have moments that are in between. But really, life it's comprised of moment that builds upon moment that builds upon moment. I, all the way from, the, from birth, you know, the, the first cry of a, of a baby born, that, that joy and that uh, excitement uh, to, the, to the deep sadness of a last breath taken uh, when someone dies. Uh, there are moments of uh, elation. Maybe you got your first job, and you, or you've just been, you got a job. And you've been waiting, and you're just elated. Oh, man, I'm so great. I all got a job. This is awesome. I needed it. I waited for it. I got it. It's the job you wanted. And then there's that utter disbelief when later on you get the notice that says you've been laid off. You know, maybe it's a moment of fear about starting school. And you can be 5, 15, 45, 85. But there's that sense of I'm starting something new and I'm nervous about it and, and what if I'm not successful at it and will I make friends? Will people like me? Will I pass? And then there's that great excitement on graduation day where you celebrate a goal accomplished. It could be a moment of just feeling great. You get out of bed in the morning and you go, man, I feel good. I feel strong. I'm healthy. Life is going well. I got the world by the tail. And then you have the moment of terror when you hear the word cancer. It could be a moment of intoxication when you fall in love. And it can be that moment of devastation when that love breaks up and you're alone. Life is like that. Moment upon moment upon moment. 
Every year at this time, in a season we call Advent, which is just a fancy way of saying getting ready for Christmas, uh, we wait for a moment that we celebrate. And that moment is, of course, the birth of Jesus. And it's a moment that literally changed the course of human history. It changed the world. And it's that moment of Christmas I want to talk about with you this morning. And I want to do that by looking at a scripture in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 9. If you open your handout, it's right there on the inside, or we're going to put it up on the screens for you as well. And I'm going to read from you to you from Isaiah uh, chapter 9. It says this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I think it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful scripture in Isaiah, and I think it has some important things to tell us about about the moment of Christmas. And there's a couple things I want to share with you the first, this morning. The first one is this, that the moment of Christmas tells us that God's message is always relevant to where we are. God's message is always relevant to where we are. Now let me uh, give you a little bit of kind of history lesson about this text in Isaiah 9, because I think it, it, it helps us to understand the context of, of our scripture this morning. Leading up to Isaiah 9, really, and particularly in the whole of chapter 8, there's just a heavy shadow. It's like, it's like a thick fog that's really um, covering the emotional and sort of spiritual welfare of the people of Israel. And it, and it comes in the form of the threat of um, political might from Assyria. Uh, the Israelites were fearful that the Assyrian Empire was going to come down, ransack, and destroy them as a people and take their land. It was a time for the Israelites of a lot of gloom and despair. Uh, kind of an Eeyore-ish time, if you will. I think you could describe Israel as a place where it was always winter with no Christmas. They were panicked, and in the midst of this panic, the people and the king began to try and purchase security, if you will, uh, to make themselves feel more in control. So they started to do things like make political maneuvers and alliances. They began to trust in things like superstitions or astrology. They put their trust in all the things that God had said to them, stay away from this stuff, because this stuff will not help you. But in their anxiety and in their panic, they began to turn towards other things besides God in an attempt to control their own destiny. It's in this context that we come across the message of Isaiah 9. It is a message of hope for the Israelites. 
It is a message of light amidst darkness. Now, that's their situation. And obviously, uh, we're here today. We're not living under that same kind of threat. But we do have a Syria's in our own lives. Uh, think with me uh, for a minute, if you will. What are some of those things that are kind of looming in the distance, maybe, or breathing down your to my neck today? Maybe it's a health concern. You know, maybe you just found out some information about your own health or the health of a family member or a friend or a parent. Or things were fine and all of a sudden they're not fine. And all of a sudden you're wondering what will happen? What does the future hold? How will we manage this? How will I manage this? I was feeling fine yesterday and today you're telling me that I'm deathly ill. Could be a health concern. Uh, maybe it's a financial concern. I can't think of a worse time to be in financial crisis than Christmas. You know, because everywhere around you, you have people saying, get this, buy this, you need this. We're going to give you this for free. Zero percent financing. And in a year, we're going to kill you. Because <laughs> you're going to have to pay it off. You know, imagine, and you may be in this position of that kind of stress you have when you're thinking, man, I don't have money to buy anybody presents. I can't buy my family presents. I can't buy my friends presents. I can't even buy myself a present. And I always think it's best to start with yourself. At least get yourself a gift. Because that's kind of how you want move into the season, you know? Maybe you're like, Libby, man, I can't even pay my bills. That doesn't make Christmas feel very fun. That makes it feel stressful. And the thing about financial difficulties is it doesn't end on December 31st. Uh, it's there. It's a constant. Uh, it looms. Could be a relationship. You know, maybe this morning you're thinking, man, I would do anything to have somebody come into my home with a nice long box and a little velvet pouch attached to it that tell me that they want me to be their life partner. Maybe you'd like to be the one asking someone to be your partner. Maybe you just feel lonely. You know, Christmas time is one of the highest percentages of depression in the year. And you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, all I want is for someone to share my life with me. Maybe you're in a relationship and it's a bad relationship and you're thinking, all I want is to be out of this relationship. It's killing me. You know, and I'm in it and it feels stressful and I don't have peace and all I want for Christmas is to have one day of peace in this relationship. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a relationship. A relationship that broke, has broken up. Or maybe someone's died. You're thinking, wow, man, I miss them. I miss them. You could be facing the Assyria of a job. You, know, you could be in a job you just hate. You know, you're like, oh, tomorrow's Monday. Man, I don't want to get out of bed on Monday morning. And people say to you, what's the best day of the week? You say Friday. They say, what's the worst day of the week? You say Monday. You say, when do you start thinking about Friday? Monday at 8. It just, it's just killing you. You know, you're going in there and every day it's just a battle and you go home and you're exhausted and you're frustrated. Maybe you're saying, I'd love to have a job I hated because I don't have a job and I got nowhere to go when I get up in the morning. 
and I have no income coming in, and I don't know what to do about it. Everywhere I look and everywhere I turn, everybody turns me down. I got a phone call from a woman this last week, and she was in tears on the phone, and she said, you know, I, my husband, uh, after 29 years of marriage, just, just told me I didn't want to be married to me anymore. She said, I don't, I'm not feeling the love. He says, and I'm moving out, and I'm starting a new life, and I don't, I'm not going to help you out. You're on your own. A month later, she walked into work, and her, and her manager said to her, you know what, I just don't feel like you're working out. Pack your box and get out. And she said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? She said, Libby, I tell you something. I, I'm afraid that that box that I packed my stuff in at my office is becoming, it's going to become the box that I live in on the street. And I don't know where God is in the middle of this. And I don't know what is happening. And I don't know why when I pray, I don't feel like I'm getting an answer. Maybe you feel that way today. There are so many different kinds of things that press in on us. And oftentimes our question is, is there a message of hope for me? Thanks, God, for giving one to the Israelites. What about me? Where's my message? I'm waiting. Well, Isaiah 9 says that no matter where we are, God's message is relevant to us. There is no place that you or I can be where God's message cannot reach us and cannot grab hold of our situation and put relevance in the middle of it, no matter how bad it is. Now, maybe you're waiting for that message right now. Your pencil is poised. <laughs> Bring it on. Put it on the screen. I don't care what you do, but I'm waiting for the message. What is it? Well, the message isn't an it. The message is a who. And the who is Jesus. Jesus is the message that brings relevance to any and all situations in our lives. And that brings me to my second point, and that's this, that Jesus gives us a hope that the world cannot provide. Jesus gives us a hope that the world cannot provide. I don't know how many of you get a newspaper. We get one a week. We get it on Sunday. And one of the things I've noticed uh, as you lead up to Christmas is that when you get your paper, it's fatter because of all the ads that get put into the middle, you know. So I open the paper, and what I always do is I pull out the ads. Now, you might find this sort of odd, but I read the ads first. I'm going to tell you why, because when I turn to the financial section, I get kind of depressed. And when I go to the sports section, currently I'm so irritated about the bowl championship series issue in college football that I cannot even read about it. So I just put that aside. So I've got the ads in front of me. Now I, I'm just intrigued by these ads. And I'm intrigued because I want to know what are they saying to us? What are they telling us? So I start going through them and I look at them. And, and they just, every area of life is covered. I mean, they don't miss a beat, man. They got everything, electronics, clothes, you know, um, Fun and games, kids, seniors, you know, middle-aged people. Yeah, I mean, everything. You cannot look at and go, there was nothing in there for me. Oh, no, they will suck you in. <laughs> and i got to tell you this because I know, because I'm going through them the other day, and I'm looking like, I'm going, yes, I need that. <laughs> they say, there's a trash compactor right here. It will compact your trash so well, you'll never have to empty your trash again in your life. <laughs> you go, oh, my God, Okay. Uh, yeah, I get, okay, I'm ripping that page out. I'm putting it in my pile. You know, here's some clothes. Get this clothes. Get this out. 
you are going to be hot. You're going to be walking down the street. People are going to be asking you out on dates. Get this outfit right here. This cologne, this soap, whatever it is. You go, well, okay, I haven't been out on a date. Rip, put it over here. My favorite right now is, um, is an ad that's been out for the iPod Nano. And everyone that's wearing the iPod Nano is like this. <laughs> like, like, I mean, like they're having so much fun. And, I, and they got their iPod on and they're just manic. Ah, I, I want that. I need that. Yes, I do. And the more I look at these ads, the more I'm like, and I need that, and I need that. And I just keep ripping them out. And I just put them on my husband's desk. <laughs> now, here's the deal. I want you to take that pile of ads. I want you to put them over here. And then I want you to turn to the front page of the newspaper. You know what the top five stories in the newspaper were about this week? Famine, murder, homelessness, war, suicide. See, the world makes us a promise, and it cannot deliver on it. And Jesus says, I have something for you that transcends all those promises, and that is a promise of hope. See, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. There is a light that shines in the midst of the darkness, and that promise that Jesus gives us is not a promise that says, I will obliterate all your problems, because we live in the real world with real problems we face every day. I got this new computer uh, like a week ago, and our, one of our computers crashed, and so, uh, gee, that was unfortunate. I had to get a new one, because I kind of love little gadgety things. We have a lot of gadgets at my house, and I love that. It's kind of a weird obsession of mine. And so I got this new computer. I was all excited. I did all this research on it. I went and I got it. I was just like, this is so cool. I was like drunk with excitement about this computer. I know for those of you who don't like stuff like that, you're like, yeah, whatever. But I loved it. And I got this computer and I brought it home and I'm playing with it and I'm finding out all the gadgets and I'm like tap, tap and the internet comes up and I got all this. Oh, this is so great. This is so great. Here's the deal. You know, after a week of that computer, I was like, okay, there's my computer. My computer was not fixing my problems for me. I couldn't go on my computer, type in a list of my problems, blew it out and push delete, and have my problems go away. They were still there the next day. See, I, the thing about the hope of Jesus isn't that he's going to come in and push the delete button and everything's going to go away and life's going to be perfect. And if anybody ever tells you that, they're lying to you. The hope of Jesus says, I'm going to get into the middle of that with you. And I'm going to give you a hope that says you will get through it. And you will come out the other end. And you will see a picture that when you walked into it, you couldn't see before. Now, we have a hope as Christ followers for an eternity. But we live today. Um, and there's a hope there that says, I'm different. Jesus makes a promise, and he delivers on it. And he did it by coming down to earth by living amongst us, by seeing the stuff and getting in the middle of the stuff and the chaos and the mess, by dying for it, and by being raised, and by living in our lives each and every day. I don't know um, how many of you like Christmas carols or don't like Christmas carols. I just find Christmas carols sort of intriguing. And, um, I, I like to, I'm, I'm kind of a wordsmith, so I always like to see how things are written. And if you read Christmas carols, you'll notice that some of them are just very bizarre. They get bizarre words, but you're singing them, and then 
Like you think, I don't even know what that meant, what I just sang, but I'm sure it was really great, you know, and like, give me some more eggnog. Yeah, that was awesome, right? And then there's some Christmas carols that are profound, and they have a profundity in their phrasing, and uh, one in particular that has really struck me this year is the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Maybe you're familiar with it. There's a line in that carol that says this, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Now think about that with me. The hopes, everything you ever hoped for, ever hoped for, ever dreamed about, any, any secret dreams, voiced dreams, all those hopes, all those fears, your greatest fear, your smallest fear, all the fears in between, of all the years, we're not just talking about you and me, we're talking about hopes and fears past. We're talking about hopes and fears of years you and I will never see are met in Jesus. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. So what? So what? That's a nice idea. It's a great phrase. It's a cool carol. But what does it mean for us when we walk out those doors and Assyria is waiting for us at the bottom of the steps? A couple things I want to I leave you with. How can we take this hope that Jesus offers us and that Jesus delivers on and make it real in our lives? Well, the first way we can do that is this. We can together enflesh, if you will, that hope of Jesus. You know, the place in life where we're going to see Jesus most profoundly is in each other. When we're living out who Jesus is together, that's where we're going to see that hope. When you are in a place of hopelessness and someone comes alongside you and says, I will be hope for you today, that is the face of Jesus. That is Jesus talking to you. When someone prays for you, when someone puts their arm around you and says, I love you, when someone invites you into their home because you have nowhere to go, when someone says, hey, I hear you're in a financial pinch, here's some money, when somebody just hears that something hard happened for you and they just put their hand on your, your shoulder and they say, man, I'm sorry. That is Jesus in our midst. When we do that, we are acting out Jesus to each other. That's how we open our eyes to the hope of Jesus, is we see it here. The second thing we do is this, that, you know what, we can't experience that if we're not willing to be open to it. I mean, I often think, you know, people always ask you, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing? And I always go, I'm good, I'm fine, everything's good. Well, there's a lot of days where I am not good, and I am not fine, and everything is not okay. But if I don't say, you know what, I am not in a good space today, I cannot experience the hope of Jesus in you or in another. And I can't offer it to someone. So we got to say, I'm going to open myself up to be a person who tells the truth. Says, I need, I, I need some hope today. Can you give it to me? This is where we meet each other. I saw this ad my stack of ads, uh, from a department store called Lord and & Taylor. And in this ad, there was a cartoon, and people were standing in front of a window. And they were looking in the window. 
and they were looking at something. You couldn't see what it was, but they were looking at it with this incredible expectancy and excitement, and their faces were practically pressed up against the glass. And people were crowding around like people do, you know? And they were looking, and they were looking, and they were looking. And I was looking at this, and I was totally transfixed by it. I was like, what's in that window? And across the top of this advertisement was this phrase, Christmas is the moment. And I looked at it, and I thought, that's exactly right. Christmas is the moment. It is not a moment in a series of moments, it is the moment of all moments. It is the moment where the hopes and the fears of all our years are met in Jesus, the one. In a minute, uh, we're going to have an opportunity um, to give our gifts, and the band's going to come up and close the service out in a song, but before we do that, I was wondering if you'd pray with me. Jesus, uh, we are very, very grateful for the reality of the hope that we have in you. Sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes it seems like the fears of all the years have overtaken any hope. And sometimes we are in a place of great hope and expectation. But this we know is true, that you are our only hope. That there is no other hope than you. And any other hope that is out there cannot deliver on its promises like you can and like you do and like you will do. God, there is a song in our soul whose words we cannot voice until you enter into that place and voice them to us and for us. And for that reality, we are ever grateful. And we pray these things in your very hopeful name.